It's time for your favorite show, BuddyCast. I'm here with my new buddy, Will Roberts. How are you doing today, sir? I'm I'm fantastic, and I'm certainly glad I'm on the show with you. Thank you. Thank you. Shout out to Chris Heron for recommending you. Chris. Chris is always a great wow. guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, from my understanding, you are both an actor and a magician. Is that correct? You know, that's kind of uh, a little bit of an understatement, so I'll give you the list. Um, you got it. I, only, I only say this because I always tell people in um, the business, Hollywood business, that the more you do, the more valuable you are in the industry. So here we go. Um, I started off as a professional magician or didn't start off. I, I started off as a magician. So um, just like Chris and um, and then I basically went into acting. I did theater for about 30 years, um, a lot, mainly musical theater because I dance, sing and act and so all that stuff. And then. Uh, I worked for Fox Kids as a Fox Kids uh, host and radio for about 35 years. So um, I am actually a professional trick roper. I have two world records. I'm a gun spinner. I have a record for that. I worked for Cirque du Soleil. Um, I'm a balloon artist. I was a professional clown for many years. Still do it when, once in a while if the commercial comes along. So I'm kind of what you call a jack of all trades and a master of none. But I'm old enough now to say that I think I've mastered a couple. Awesome. You're a professional clown. I used to be a professional clown. I love comedy. I I was in a goose. In a goose. I wasn't white-faced. I was a goose. Same here. Same here. I felt like, you know, white-faced was just too much and all that stuff. But the goose was just the perfect amount. Absolutely. That's the ringling uh, background. I mean, although I know whiteface, you know, a lot of Mm. clowns, uh, traditional clowns are whiteface, but the Lou Jacobs, it was the, you know, Mm -hmm. big hat and head and so on. So I was more along the lines of that because it had more of a human quality to it. Yep. Let me ask you, what was your clown name? I am still, I still go by Buzzy D. And then there's a hyphen and then K-L-O-W-N. That's Buzzy D Clown. And one of the reasons why I did was that was because um, very early on after I got rid of doing the traditional ringling style um, and I was very uh, religiously, uh, you know, the way I was in my clown, you know, we call it toe painters. And I don't know if you know that term, but um, I, I was I'm very against people that go, yeah, you know, and they put the makeup on and it's it's greasy look and it it runs and you know i always tell people that when i put my clown makeup on which i can do in 20 minutes um that when i set it it's bulletproof i can literally spend uh eight hours in the sun sweating and you won't be able to tell you know anything because you know there's a certain way of doing it with the sock and everything so Mm -hmm. uh but the point is is that uh i I was very religiously you know into the way i did it and so on but my character the d and then the k-l-o-o-w-n Back in the 90s, I was touring our late 80s and 90s. I was running around the country with a good friend of mine, RJ Owens, who is now he well was with Cirque du Soleil and did the big baby and Mystere, Mystere. And I was with Cirque on a show called Viva Elvis, but he was my clowning partner. And we traveled and did maybe 25 fairs a year, which were, was great. But I kind of was also a big gamer. And so I was Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, and so on. And I would walk into 7-Elevens at the time. Back then, they had video games. And I'd walk up to a Street Fighter game with a couple of quarters. And I'd walk up, and all the guys would be like, dude, there's a clown here. So I adapted an urban clown. And uh, consequently, because I dance, I also 
pop, lock. I do, you know, I'm a, bra- a, a old school break dancer. Ooh. And I, I basically tweaked my clown character and became a urban clown. And I actually produced a rap album, like a real one, not I'm a clown from your town. I actually emulated Dr. Dre's voice and got a real producer who is a good friend of mine in Seaside, California, who dropped beats for Death Row Records. And he's like, you want to do what? I go, dude, I want to do like a freestyle. And I produced an album and then became a hip hop clown and freestyled at some of the hip hop stuff. So consequently, the K-L-O-W-N came because I changed my outfit and did a very baggy cross-colored look. So that's the Reader's Digest version of it. Nice. You were Buzzy the Clown. I was Buddy the Clown. Oh, nice. There you go. Yeah. A little bit of what Buddy Cats came from. Yeah. Did you, do, did you do, uh, you obviously did parties and so on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did plenty of picnics. Um, I didn't do personal parties, like no personal birthday parties, okay. but... Um, a bunch of like charity events or um, I did a telethon once. So yeah, it was well worth it. It was well, it was well worth it. Um, let me ask you this. How did you get into, how'd you, I see you shuffling the cards and everything. How'd you get into magic? Well, I'll to be always an interesting sort of a, a, um, side note with me, but I actually, when I was in my, I moved from Cal, I'm from Chicago. So I'm from South side of Chicago and my dad at the time, my stepdad was like, yeah, you're going to love it. I didn't because I was waiting for years for the snow to happen. It never happened in California where I was at in in central California. But um, I was a skater like back in the day, um, Mm -hmm. back in the uh, late or late seventies and early eighties. I was a half pipe. We, we went in Santa Cruz. I lived by Santa Cruz, California. We emptied out pools. We dropped in. It was during the time when Shobu Cabo and Dogtown Skates and Tony Alba. I was, uh, you know, one of the original um, uh, skaters. But so I was a skater and a stoner. And at the time, um, uh, back then when I was a kid, I was going to school, ripped jeans, busted up Yamaha jacket because I was just a thrasher. Um, I walked into a magic shop because I'd always loved magic. And it was at a place we called Edgewater, which is this big carousel, big place with a lot of video games down below. So I had magic at the top floor. And at the bottom, I'd go down and spend my quarters and play Asteroids or Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter. So anyway, um, I walked into the magic shop. And um, I guess after about a year, the owner and the guy that was ultimately became my mentor, Paul Pastore, said, uh, you know, you we've shown you every trick. Yeah, yeah. And you've bought a bunch. How would you like to work here? Well, I wound up working at a place called Zucchini's Tricks and Things um, on Cannery Row, infamous Cannery Row, for on and off for about 10 years. And uh, through doing that, I wound up being, you know, becoming a professional magician and doing strolling and platform shows and so on. So I got started, uh, what, 38, 39 years ago. And um, lo and behold, here I am now uh, and still uh, doing that and then some. And as we go into the program, I'll I'll elaborate on that. But mm-hmm. that's how I got started. And, and also I was doing uh, 
a lot of theater and dance concerts. And at one point, one of the, the choreographers I knew said, hey, why don't you do a piece? And a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, died of AIDS back then, uh, Larry. And I did an Emmett, Emmett Kelly piece. I literally reconfigured and did a whole Emmett Kelly outfit and everything and, you know, did a piece. And then I got hooked on clowning. So I wound up doing clowning and magic sort of the same. And I'm a very, very fast balloon artist. Hmm. Interesting. Now yeah. I understand you are also part of the magic castle. Yeah. So I'm, I, you know, it's funny because I've been a magician for so long, but I'm only about two years or three years into being a member of the magic castle, which is an awesome place to belong. But mm -hmm. right now with COVID and all that stuff happening, <laughs> there's not really anybody uh, going there, but yeah, it, it, you know, I, for some reason, it's really weird. They kind of said to me, several magicians said, I don't get it. You've been a magician for so long why didn't you join much earlier? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm not the type of guy that like with my skills, like the guns and the ropes and the whips, there's lots of people who have like um, first place uh, at the wild west arts club. And they're like, why don't you compete? I'm like, yeah, that's not my deal. My deal is that um, I like to be able to uh, do things really, really well. And that's why I got two world records because I wanted to do something in particular, but the, but the contest didn't matter. Hence, I didn't really join the Magic Castle because I wanted to entertain people more and not entertain magicians. Because in the world of magic, a lot of times they're like, hey, here's a trick that fool. That's why they have fool us on Penn and Teller. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. It's an ongoing thing with magicians that you do a trick and you go, boom, check this out. And they go, I don't even know how you did that. And I'm not that magician. I'm the magician that tries to do entertaining. And that's not a bad thing if you want to fool magicians. It's just I try to tend to um, entertain the audience more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I also understand you have two world records now, as you've mentioned. Yeah. May I ask, what are those records? Yes, you will. Uh, you can. Hold on one second. I'm going to go get one of them. Sounds cool. If I For those of you it, just – Actually, yep. I'm about to tear down my – so one of the things that I am a world record holder on is uh, guns. So um, I, this is a Ruger Vaquero, the real deal. And I am uh, one of the top gun spinners and gun handlers in the world. So uh, this is what I did for Cirque du Soleil is I had guns that were about twice as long and we had to have them because there were 2000 people in the audience, but I am pretty much an expert at handling this. So when you see, uh, you can come back on screen. Uh, when you see um, Tombstone and you see uh, Val Kilmer doing the cup, people always tell me, I open up my show when I do that. I go, yeah, and I have a cup and I spin it. And, you know, it's kind of basically what I call bar flare. But I said, but here's what the real routine is. And, and I do it with a gun and then I throw it over my shoulder. I catch it, I shoot. I can do, you know, blank. I could do, this is called the do, doing, I can do six shots mm -hmm. in about 12, wow. uh, in about three seconds and then do a thing called a border shift and then get the other gun and grab it out of the holster and do it again. So um, that's one. My world record is actually for holstering. They said to me, see, uh, what people may not know is, is that the world record place, which is Guinness, um, they are actually located in the UK. So when you see the link of my um, my uh, world record, you will see that um, it is actually uh, it's called uh, something amazing. 
you're amazing or you think you're amazing. And um, they did a half hour show and I was in it and they featured me trying to break a world record with roping because I'm a trick roper. That's the other one. So it's guns and ropes. And they brought me to a place called Calico Ghost Town, which is here in California, about 109 degrees most of the time. And I didn't get the roping record because it was 109 degrees and I had to jump through and do a thing called a Texas skip, which is basically jumping through the big loop. And, uh, you know, after trying to do that the first time, they just went, uh, you know, we're good. Let's just do the gun record because we don't want you to die on our program. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So I wound up getting the world record for the guns. But then consequently, about a, a year and a half or two years later, I recently I do a rodeo in California called the Salinas California Rodeo. And um, I said to them, I go, I would like to take one of my big loops, which is a hundred foot loop of rope. And I would like to put as many people in it while I'm spinning it. And Guinness said, that's awesome. Let's do it. But what people may not understand on getting a world record is that the paperwork is this thick. It's literally this thick. You have to fill out. You have to get uh, everybody has to sign a thing. You have to have filming. You have to measure. You have to gauge the rope. There's so many things. Luckily, my good friend John Freeman helped me. He was a news guy in that area. And we just shot it and measured it and did it. And then I waited about two months and they went, it's official. So I have a record for spinning the mo- the rope inside, you know, um, the most people inside my rope. It's called the big loop. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So, so those are the two records. And I, you know, I'm trying to figure out here if I can really quickly, but my, my kind of my mouse broke. I want to see if I could find something here for you. Uh, Will Roberts, because it looks like you have that screen. Uh, uh, gun spinning. So this is a, um, here it is. Let me just do this. So anyway, go ahead. You ask your questions. I'm going to get you a link for something. Yep. I also understand that you have a magic business. Yeah. um, So I I mentioned zucchinis, tricks and things. Let me see if I can get this Mm -hmm. there. I mentioned that I was, you know, zucchinis, tricks and things and how, uh, you know, I worked for that gentleman, which his name was uh, Brian Whitehead, who owns uh, hold on a second. Let's get rid of that. Okay. So basically, uh, here you go. Here's the link. This is the link, by the way, if you want to watch me kind of get the world record. Um, I gave it to you and mm-hmm. it's on my YouTube channel. But anyway, so uh, what I, in regards to the magic and having my own magic business, um, what I did was I, when COVID started, I basically, um, said to myself, okay, I work in Hollywood and Hollywood is closed. It's still closed, really. I mean, we there's some sporadic things happening, but it's closed. And so uh, all my friends that were that are 20 years old actors in LA were calling me up going, Will, what, what, what are we going to do? I mean, what, what do you, well, I see on your social media, you're still working. How are you doing that? And I said, well, you know that I'm kind of an expert at a uh, smartphone iPhone, I have the 11 plus, you know, max 512K memory, so on. And I said, I'm an expert because, like, I have, let me show you something really quickly, another little thing to show. Um, I basically became an expert at smartphones because I realized, because when I worked at the station, I was lugging around, um, boy, oh boy, uh, you know, a 
50 to 70 pound Betacam SP and then taking it into a million dollar um, studio to produce. But then I started basically taking the iPhones when they started and saying, boy, if I could do this. And they had to catch up to me because I was trying to render stuff and crashing a lot of PCs and so on and so on. But now in this day and age, they finally have caught up. This is an iPhone or a smartphone rig. And this fits my camera in here. Ah. And then from there, I have a DSLR um, lens adapter. So these are cinema lenses that come off that now I have this adapter that if I want to put on any lenses that are Canon, which you can do any, and then I shoot through my phone because one of the biggest problems with uh, phone production is really the lens. It, I mean, it has all the workings. Now, it's not a black magic, you know, wiggity whack uh, $100,000 or $20,000 camera, but things have changed. And so I wound up becoming really good at that. And so hence, uh, I don't know how I, oh, I don't know how I got off on this subject, but that's, that's uh, one of mm -hmm. the things I've done to sort of um, deflect off of this COVID thing. The other mm -hmm. thing I did was, because I do a lot of SEO, search engine optimizing, and I build pages, is I got a, a Wix page. And, you know, I got to tell you something, although it can be a little expensive, uh, I'm very impressed with them because it's got what we call a WYSIWYG that allows you to kind of drag and drop and do different things and create web pages. And I created a site called basicsofmagic.com. Basicsofmagic.com. Check it out, please. And um, on Basics of Magic, it has uh, really, it was my idea. There are lots of magic sites out there, but uh, it was my idea to be able to create Basics of Magic. And here's what it has on it. You can go on there and certainly buy magic tricks. You can go on there and see that we're having the seminars through a place called magiciansforum.com, the magiciansforum.com. And uh, they'll have major well-known people in magic doing seminars. So you can buy the tickets there. In addition, it has a, a, a place where you can do a virtual magic lesson because I have virtualmagiclessons.com and you can basically click there and find some of the top magicians in the world that will do a Skype or a one-on-one -on -one Zoom with you and show you how to do a fan or whatever trick they're famous for. And then on top of that, I'm also building a library of about 700 different magic books that I got from the Library of Congress. These are Houdini, Thurston, I mean, some of the most famous people, and these are from the late 1800s on to the, uh, about the mid uh, 1900s, but, and I'm sure there are more, but these are all public domain, but I'm in the middle of t working with this developer to create an actual library site, not like you're going to go here and click, it's an actual library site, so it's going to be kind of fun. But I wanted a place to be able to uh, to do all these different things because I'm sitting at home during COVID. But lo and behold, I got this idea. I called my friend Brian, who owns Zucchini's Tricks and Things, and I said, Brian, how's it going? I knew how he was going to answer. He's a brick and mortar. And he goes, uh, it's horrible. It's devastating. They want me to pay my rent. I, I can't go there. I can't sell anything. And he's kind of old school. He's been doing the magic shop for 40 years. But the problem was, is that he never really got online with it. And that was not his deal. You know, his shop on Camry Row was doing quite well, but then COVID hit. So I said, 
I'm going to help you. And so I made it basicsofmagic.com brought to you by Zucchini's Tricks and Things. And so it's a it's basically a brick and mortar you can go to, but you can also come online and buy and get and, and experience magic there. Long story, but that's the story. Hey, it was perfect. It sounded sounds like a great place. I'm going to be checking it out after it's the fun. show. Yeah, it's fun. I really like the whole thing about uh, how you have, you know, magicians who can show you the trick actually. So instead of like reading it yourself and then going, you know, like I'm a visual learner, for example, me, I am. Me yeah, too. Like I'm a visual guy. Like I, if I can see it happening, that's how you do it rather than reading it and going, yeah. I think I got the gist of it, but then finding out like there's an extra flip to it or something like that, yeah, you know, that's the problem. See, that is the ultimate problem with magic. And that's the problem I went to solve. And I talked to Chris and, uh, and said, you know, the, the reason why I created this is two reasons is that a lot of the magicians are older, so they mm -hmm. can't even turn on their computer, let alone answer their email. So I wanted something where if a magician that I, that which there are several on there that mm -hmm. didn't have a web page or didn't know how to promote themselves, that I was going to help them by building a page. And you can see that when you click the magician's page, there are several uh, really well-known magicians that basically I built a mm -hmm. page for them. But the other part about it was is that I, I said to Chris and many other magicians, I said, the problem is, is that when you go on to a, a magic shop or the reason why you go to a magic shop is that you're going to get someone that you go, okay, here's the trick. And then you buy it. And then when you're done, they go, okay, come here. We're going to show you how to do it. Do this, do that, do this. And that's the beauty of a brick and mortar magic shop. I mean, you can go online and buy a billion magic tricks, but when you get it, what really diffuses people from really getting into magic really is the fact that you have to go, uh, and reading magic to me is just horrendous because you're like, oh, you do. Oh, I know that count, but how do I do? It's just too tough for most people because magic is like a technical manual times five sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Most definitely. Yeah. Now I want to dive into your acting career a little bit, if we could. Sure. I understand you were on the show Lucifer. I was. I did an episode uh, on Lucifer. I was uh, called in, and it's called a a co-star role. Guest mm -hmm. star guest star role is where they. It's pretty much about you. You might be the bad guy. This yeah. was just a uh, you know a couple lines. Um, but you know, in the world of acting, it's it's uh, the only way you can get to much larger roles is by doing some of these what we call guest star roles and showing the industry, in essence, directors mm -hmm. and casting directors that you can handle lines. And then they go, oh, he's got a lot of, you know, co-star roles. Let's get him in for a guest star role. So. Nice. It was fun. I mean, it was fun, though. I, I will say that uh, the the people that were uh, very nice. I didn't really like, you know, shake hands with the the main guy or anything. I mean, that usually you tend when you're an actor in a production, you're not really like running around being social. You got a job to do. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they had one. I came in. I did my thing. They were like, awesome, great work, and you know, we're off to the races. It was uh, it was literally interestingly enough. It was the last episode before. Before it went to Netflix and, mm. and consequently it was uh, not going to air, but then the uh, fans got so upset that the last episode wasn't going to air, which was my NASCAR one that they basically said, uh, you know, we're, we're pissed and we want it on the air. So they showed it, which is great for me because at first it was not going to show. And I'm like, Oh, that's a bummer, but I did it still went on my credits, but um, it was fun. Mm-hmm. 
Most definitely. I also understand uh, you've been on Ellen DeGeneres before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, one of the things here being in L.A. is, is that we get I get sometimes 100. Well, not anymore. But mm-hmm. at this at this current time, we're not getting a lot of audition notices to go places to audition because they're not doing that as much anymore for now. But, um, yeah, I got it. I saw it. I, I was doing my daily thing. I was checking and doing all my marketing for myself. Oh, that thank oh Chris, what's up, brother? That's that's the man right there. Yeah, Chris, Chris is the man. Yeah. Uh if I could be half uh, of the uh the, the wonderful spirit that that man is, I'll be okay in my life. Um I will say that so I saw an audition notice come through, and a lot of times we get these, they're like a hundred and I I get like I said, a hundred and five of these things. And the problem is is that you, you have to know that when I get these emails, I buy into these services. They're called LA Casting, Casting Frontier, Actors Access. And so as an actor, we build a profile with all of our pictures and our demo reels. And then our agents can say, hey, here's Will. And then when we get these submissions, I pay like $15 each one of them. So I'm paying almost $100 a month for these audition notices to come. But what people don't realize and what they don't get is the statistic of a working actor in LA is less than 1% make a living off of it. Now, I'm pretty happy to say that this is all I do, whether it's my cowboy magic or act, this is what I do. So um, the, the key, if you're trying to do this industry, is not to be a one-trick pony. If you just, you're an actor, you're like, I'm an actor. I'm only going to do theater. You're going to starve because unless you're in ho- in uh, Broadway and you get a show and you're still going to starve when it's over. But the point is, is that uh, I got a notice through my email and it said, uh, looking for a dad dancer uh, has to be good. Um, uh, Ellen DeGeneres show. I'm like, oh, whatever. I guess so. Yeah here and by the way here's my uh, information on you can see me dancing surprise to me i sent an information that information to my agent and said get on this man try to get me on because i you know boom i'll do it like i mean he said he never got back to me my agent so consequently about 20 minutes later i got a call from the producer saying will uh we like what we saw but do you have anything on instagram you can show us dancing i'm like yeah i just so happened to do a music video for sonus And I did one for, um, uh, what was it for? Oh, it was a music video for a guy that does like a kid's album, but he's pretty adult kid's album. It's pretty dope stuff. But I was a general. And so I was doing all this popping and locking and dancing. And they saw it and they went, "Um, you're booked. So consequently, I walked into the studio. It was kind of funny because they had four of us. Two of us were shills. See, Ellen and Twitch did not know that we were a plant. They have this segment called, so you think you can dance. And, uh, basically Ellen says, Hey, we're out in the audience. Let's figure out people. I thought I was going to be on the stage doing it and they didn't, they had us do it in the aisle, which by the way, was not any bigger than a postage stamp. And so they had me come up and they had another woman who was a, a dancer they didn't grab hers because they spent so much time on mine. But consequently, I got in there and they brought me in and I said, hey, man, all the people are in here already. And they said, it's all right. We're going to escort you to your seat. And when you're done, we're going to escort you out. So I did. I, I got I sat down and I was basically amongst 350 women. 
And I was, and it's funny because I'm like dressed in this like dad looking frumpy type of stuff with a sweater. And the woman next to me was this very pretty blonde woman, looked at me and she said, You must be someone special. I'm like, No, I'm just a guy. And she's like, No, but you must be someone special. And she's like doing this to me. I'm like, Oh man, and now I know how women feel. And she was like checking me out and kind of looking at me during the show. And we had to sit through two shows. You, they take mm. two shows at a time. So we were the audience for two different shows. So the second show starts and we're getting up in the middle of all of them. And they do these breaks when they go to commercial. And there's a person that kind of gets you amped up and we dance. And I'm like, damn. So they go, okay, everybody stand up. We're in a break. We're going to kind of move around and shake and let's dance. We love to dance on the Ellen show. And I'm just sitting here during the breaks going, trying to not look like I, like I can dance kind of going off beat like every middle-aged white guy does. So basically uh, they came back to the spot and did it. And then I said, uh, you know, I, if you saw the the spot it's online, you can check up Will Roberts, dad dancer, Ellen, I think. And you'll see, um, let me see if I can find it for you. Cause it's pretty funny. The reactions, because they did not know that I was a dancer. And so the response is quite entertaining. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, Will Roberts, Ellen show. Now it's better to see the whole thing. There it is. Mm. But it's, it's better to see the whole thing, but it's certainly entertaining just to see my part because you can see all the other people doing it. How I got on the Ellen show. Um, I think probably the best one to see is it's going to take you to my Facebook. I don't know if you can see it, but here is um, that link. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, so you can probably try to check that out. I'm not sure it's going to let you in. If you have to be a member, I don't know. So um, I wound up doing it and it was hysterical because it was really there in the aisle. And I basically went down and tried to do a ground move and I tried to do back spins and it was pretty funny, but um, it was, a, it was a fun experience. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it. It sounds got like me they... a little bit of viral, got me a little viral for a while. Yep. What was the woman like after the show? Like, was she someone like, I knew it. She's looking at me going, I sat down and she's like, Wow. Didn't know how to respond. Honestly, didn't know how to respond. And then that's what they do is they, they after they did that segment, they didn't take the other dancer. They just stopped them. Or they went one after me. And uh, it was funny because they're like, oh, how are you going to follow that? Because I'm like totally like you, you can see the video. It's pretty entertaining. But mm -hmm. after that, they said, look, we're going to take a break. And when they took a break, three people came in and go, Will, come on, let's go. And they replaced me with another person because they didn't want the spot to be empty and make it look like it was a shill. So they put another person in there to fill the audience member, but they're, the women are like, Oh, he's leaving. It was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. It definitely sounds like it. Alrighty. I'm going to ask you. Yep, well, into my acting, one more thing I'll say about the acting is, is that, uh, yeah, uh, I've been a professional actor, uh, a screen actors guild member since 1985. And, uh, I, Recently, I have two films on Netflix. One is called The Killer or O Matador. I shot it for 46 days in Brazil, which was a ball. And the reason why I was actually originally brought onto the production is because it's a Western and, it, and they wanted me as the gun coach. 
So I was called by the director's uh, assistant in Brazil, and she said, he loves your work with the guns. He wants you to train these people. Well, consequently, I always tell people that say that because I get calls often um, with between whips, guns, and ropes and say, would you, can you do this and train people? And I usually, like I told this director, I said, I'd love to, but you have to cast me. And he's like, what? I go, yeah, if you're going to do this, I want you to see if you can find a role for me to do. And he goes, well, that's pretty ballsy. I went, you need me. I don't need you. And I hate to say this, but I'm not 25. And I'm not you know, sitting here going, oh, I hope they like me. I know what I do well. And that's why I have a couple of world records. So consequently, he was having me train a gentleman by the name of, uh, he's it basically goes by, um, not hatchet, a uh, machete. Um, it's a Trejo, Danny Trejo. And Danny Trejo, you know who that is? Danny Trejo is the Mexican guy who um, um, he was in, I don't know, he's like big and he's like, he's called Machete in a, in a TV show or a, a movie. I think I know who he is. He's got like yeah. the mustache. Yeah. Like the- and he has a ta- he has taco places now in LA. Danny yeah, Trejo think- does a lot of these like kind of like not great movies, but he also has done some great movies. He's, mm. Everybody knows him as Machete. So anyway, he was going to cast him as a role in this movie called The Gringo. The movie isn't called The Gringo. It's called The Killer or Omentador. But the mm-hmm. role was called was called The Gringo. And I'm like, I'm confused. He goes, why? And I go, well, in America, Gringo, uh, how was he was in Conair. Okay, he was in Conair. Okay, um, but in in uh, in America, gringo means white guy. And he goes, mm-hmm. "Oh, well, they said in Brazil, gringo means anybody that isn't Brazilian." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I basically said, "He said to me, he goes, you know what? Why don't you read these sides and do a self tape of you doing the scene as gringo?" And I said, okay. So I did it. And of course I went, boom, pulled out a whip. And he went, um, I'm going to cast you instead of Danny Trejo. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went to Brazil. I helped with the riding horse riding because I ride. I helped with the stunts. I helped with the, with the guns, which was very difficult because I don't speak Portuguese. And that's primarily what the other weapons guy from the military uh, spoke was, you know, so I had to figure that out, but 46 days in a place called Pernambuco, which is basically the Amazon. It's not Rio. And I spent some time in uh, uh, Sao Paulo. So uh, I have a big love for them because um, uh, I, I did actually another film there called Signal that I shot on an iPhone with uh, a gentleman by the name of Diogo Morgado and won a few Best Actor Awards around the world. So I had a great experience there, but that's one film. The other one is called ABCD2, and it is a Disney film, and it's actually the one of the, I think if not the biggest grossing Bollywood film ever. And it was, it's about, and you know, in, in Mumbai, in India, uh, dance is huge. Dance is a religion. And so I got a chance to work on this film and the two of the biggest stars and there are mega stars or three are mega stars in India. So I was the Las Vegas promoter doing the big dance concert. So I was there for about 12 days. It was an awesome experience in Mumbai, but all these people there were just wonderful in a very difficult, difficult part of the world because they, they should be wearing masks all the time because the, the carbon monoxide and all of the, the mm. cars, 
because you know they they have what 20 million in there in Mumbai alone and it, it's huge and it's dirty and you know it's I got some stories about there but what I can tell you is the nicest people in the world so mm. I had a great time so that film is on uh, Netflix as well and then I have an Amazon film which is called uh, the West and the Ruthless which is another cowboy film so you know mm-hmm. I try to keep busy. Most definitely. Now, here's one thing. We've got a question from the audience. Do you have more than one agent? <laughs> yes, Jeffrey, I do. Um, so if you're an actor, I'll give you my Reader's Digest version of this whole thing. But um, I actually have technically, I think, about five agents around the world. Um, now in regards to, now I've got someone in, in India that looks out for me and says, see stuff. I have someone that was in Atlanta. So I guess I don't have that one because I got rid of that person. Um, I have a theatrical agent in LA and I have a commercial agent in LA. Um, you know, and I think there's another one somewhere. Oh, in Arizona, I have a, an agent, but here's what I'm going to tell you. What I'm going to tell you is, is that in doing this for 38 years, what I'm about to tell you is, is that if you look at my resume, it's very long, but I'm going to tell you right now that probably 85% of what you see on my resume, I got it. I got it. Because what I do is I go and I've got IMDb Pro. I've got all the different things I submit. I'm constantly on my social media. Not so much right now. I produce my own stuff because I'm telling you right now, Jeffrey and everybody else out there that's an actor, fact of the matter is that we are entering into another whole world when it comes to Hollywood and production because what you're looking at right here between you and I, um, Nick, is really uh, what's going to be the more uh, the commonplace. And what I mean is, is that in the early in 1900s we had the industrial revolution. In 2000 we had the tech revolution. Well, I'm here to tell you in 2020 with what's happened now, we now have the home content provider revolution. Because we are now looking at, oh, I'm not even on my WAN. I usually am on WAN, so I get a clearer signal, but we seem to do okay. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I, I've learned everything I can about how to produce it, how to shoot it, how to edit it, how to promote it. Because here's the thing. Think about this as an actor. When you walk in to do an audition, you're auditioning with what they want you to fit into. Well, if I walked into my own audition, I'd be funny, I'd be stupid, I'd be doing card tricks, I'd be spinning a gun or a rope, and then you'd go, damn, that's funny, that's entertaining, but you're not as an actor. So when you think about the odds of being an actor, the odds of being an actor and working are much better when you have your own body of work that shows. So with that being said, I diligently work 80 hours a week, roughly, or something like that. My family's like, dad, anyway, but this is my career and not my hobby. And I just say to anybody that treats it like a hobby, awesome, but don't expect much because in this day and age, this is really the most difficult time in some ways because if you try to get into the industry, like I told you, you have to be guest star before your co- I'm sorry, co-star before your guest star, or if you want to get a role in a movie, you have to gain confidence. Biggest thing in this business is not like I can do everything. I'm amazing. Well, that's cool. You think that, 
But what your job really is as an actor is to instill in the people watching you, the people auditioning you and going, wow, they know exactly where to look. They're confident. They've got this character. They brought something new to it. That's what they're really look. They can deliver the lines. They don't give a rat's ass if you think that you're awesome because there are many, many people better looking than me that are better actors than me that are better a lot of things than me. But the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And if you keep showing up, they can't ignore you and can't deny you. So in reality, uh, how many agents do I have? Too many. And what do they do for me? Nothing. Sorry. I mean, I've got my commercial agent that keeps me relatively going. And now he's kind of pushing more of uh, voiceover, which I wish he'd been doing anyway, because I'm in my voiceover studio. Mm. But but I, I'm on Fiverr. I did that. I did Fiverr because I created some gigs because I don't like it. It's low balled and you lose a lot of money. But I got to work and I got to make a living and it keeps me sharp. So there is, in the words, show business a word called business. And most actors don't get that. Most performers don't get that. I don't care how wonderful you are. You have to show us why, and you have to show us constantly. Beautiful advice. Truly, truly awesome. Like, and Just, you're doing it, Nick. I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest. I mean, look, you got buddy cast. I mean, I love it because of when I saw that, I was thinking of the uh, what's the movie called Dogma, where Buddy got Buddy Jesus. Do you remember that? <laughs> have you seen that movie at all? It's pretty. Not funny. sure if I have, but I love. Yeah, it up it's for very. Sure. Oh, it's very funny. It's like Matt Damon and someone else, and they've mm-hmm. got this like this church has this uh, Jesus figure. Mm-hmm. No problem, Jeffrey. Oh, by the way, he's a clown. I love yep. it. Yeah, yep. that's by the way, those are, let me finish this thought, but let me talk yeah. about how much time do you have? Am I overrunning? I'll no, go as long as you need. I'll tell you something very important, Jeffrey. And if you haven't been listening, uh, everybody mm-hmm. else, this is important too. It's more on the odds of acting, but there, this film is called, I think, Dogma. And there's this church, and it has a statue of, I think, it winds up being that George Carlin is God or something in the movie. But uh, the funny thing is, is that they have this Jesus statue and the Jesus is going like this. And it's this very cartoon looking character, but it's called his, he, they call him buddy Jesus. So when mm. I saw buddy cast, I'm like, that kind of reminds me of that. Anyway, Sweet. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So look it up. Cause you might, uh, might yeah. something interesting. Uh, so what I was going to say, and I, and I used to uh, do a lot of, uh, segments for uh, a couple of companies because I do a lot of people hire me to do content for them and, you know, influencer stuff and open the packages up and, and then also just in general doing uh, content. And I worked for a company that was doing kids casting and, and also adult casting for films and TV and commercials and modeling. And one of the lessons I taught people is that the more, you know, and the more skills you have, magician, trick roper, clown, blah, 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 the more you work. Because here's the thing I see a lot in my audition notices. And I honestly think when you look at an actor's resume, at the very bottom, it has something called special skills. I think special skills should be up at the top. And the reason why is because, look, if I w- you were hiring me to be a cop, 
or any other guys, I have a full LAPD uniform, full. And I have my nine millimeter. I have, it's all authentic. Number one, it gets me cast. Number two, I'm a weapons expert. So when they call them in and they're like, we're looking for people to play police officers. There are lines, blah, 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 blah. Don't you think they're going to call on the people that have the expertise first? Yeah, they are. If you're a clown, look, Jeffrey, I've gone so many times and Nick, I've gone so many times to auditions for commercials and they said, hey, we need a clown. Number one, would I have gotten that audition if I wasn't a clown? No. Number two, when I get there and I'm all decked out looking like you were, Jeffrey, like really good makeup, like you can go like this and it's not going to come off. You're not going to look greasy and scary. That's why clowns get a bad name along with it. Anyway, it, but when I go in and they look at me, they go, damn, when I go on set and I've done probably 15 gigs on TV as a clown. When I walk in, they go, uh, you want to go to makeup? I go, yeah. And they go, Hey, you're a clown, right? I go, yeah. I go, and all the makeup people gather around me and go, damn, how are you doing that? How do you do the, and I go, I use my fingers, which they say not to use in makeup, but I'm able to learn. I learned how to really feather it out and then maybe clean it up and do my black lines and then hit it. And then the secret, by the way, if you're a clown to be making your makeup stay forever is that you basically use your sock because I use a sock mm-hmm. with powder in it. I brush it out and then I get this is the tip. I get not hairspray. You'll peel is I get a wet paper towel wet and I basically pat it on there. And then I let it dry. That's the key right there. It sets the makeup into your pores. You'll never lose your makeup. Clown wow. tip. So uh, fact of the matter is, is that way. Now you got me intrigued about showing you uh, something. Oh, here we go. So uh, basically, hope you're not looking at my crush. Sorry. <laughs> so basically, um, you know, that's the key for the magic parts. But the more skills you have, think about it. I mean, it's odds. This business is odds. If you if you want the opportunity, then you have to be able to go in there and be able to, uh, you know, have the things that they're not going to have to question. Like they're already questioning. Can you do the dialogue? Can you do the role? Well, on top of that, you're going to put it in magic. I just saw Magic Camp with my six and my nine year old yesterday. And I'm like watching it. I'm like, damn. They really didn't have a lot of consultants and magic in there because you can tell by what the kids are doing. But it is what it is. So uh, why we're here. I never use a pump because I think it's cheating. No offense. There we go. And uh, so one of the first things I did as a person, a professional clown, there's a good friend of mine by the name of Twisty. He's in balloons. Great guy that I wish I could find. But you got to get Qualitex because they don't blow up and the cheap ones do. But I usually make, I mean, some pretty elaborate stuff, but I do my quick runs here. And, I, you know, a lot of times I'll put comedy to it and I'll be like, that's a, that's a bear. That's a, that's a bear. Or a kitty cat. <laughs> or, my, or my favorite, roadkill. Okay, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I used to sit and do Cinco de Mayo in an area I lived in California and I did, I used to do a thousand balloons a weekend, a thousand, wow. because what I did was I went to El Chiritos, Chevy's, Applebee's, actually a couple of them learned about me, but I went and I had three or four a weekend 
And I would go to El Trito's, my first one on Cannery Row. And I would go in there and I go, look, you just got to give me 50 bucks a night. I'm going to blow up balloons. I'm going to go table to table. Uh, my deal. Let me take tips. And you provide me with a meal. And I was in my 20s and starving. I mean, I was, I mean I'm a professional actor, so we just starve most of the time. So there it is. So in essence, the funny thing is that when COVID hit and everybody was in their houses going, I don't know what to, I'm like, is something happening out there? Wasn't anything for me because mm -hmm. I was used to being born white trash and ended up being an actor with no money. So we're good. Anyway, uh, so I wound up doing these gigs and they said, yeah, that'd be great. Well, consequently, why I did that in the public and at restaurants was I wanted to work on my improv as well. Although I knew I was good, well, I got to the point where I could go up to anybody. And I learned something really important was that I wasn't going up to make fun of the dad. I was going up there to have fun with the dad. Because a lot of times I would never do it to a woman and do some of the stuff I do in little gags and so on. So I would use the dad. And the minute that dad was the star, I'd be making 10 to $20 tips. I consequently left there. And a lot of times I made at least 200 to $250 a night on each place. So as a struggling actor, I was making cash in my hand and I was developing my balloon skills and my improv skills to this day. Um, I, I, I love standing in front of several million people and speaking. That's awesome. So I guess it's time for me to ask what is called the ultimate buddy cast buddy question. Okay. You ready for this? Oh, I don't know. Is there a drum around here we can roll? There you go. <laughs> what is your advice to anyone who wants to go into magic? Ooh. Or anybody that, oh, in yeah. clowning as well. Okay, uh, Matt, if you want to go into this arena, which is different than uh, just acting itself, um, mm -hmm. I will tell you the advice I got um, from a magician when I first started. I, I got a, a, a magician that pulled me aside and he said, you're very good and you're very entertaining. You're very funny. But let me tell you something that I think is going to help magic, your magic and in general. Not that you're needing this, but let me just tell you this. Do theater. And I said, well, what do you mean? I go, I, I would love to. I'd never done it at that point. And I would love to. And he said, well, because let's tell you, let me tell you this, that um, it's easy to, it's, it's magicians that are actors are more entertaining most of the time than actors. I'm sorry. Actors being magicians are more entertaining than magicians being actors. And the reason why is because most of the time people will do things and they will, as a magician, they'll go, here's a trick. And then they'll go, thanks. And they're not entertaining. It's really not about, because my general rule of magic is anybody, anybody can do a trick. You can buy them anywhere. You can do the same tricks as Chris Angel or whatever. You can buy those tricks and you can learn how to do them. But it's the entertaining parts of it, the performance part of it that um, I would say that you really need to work on. You, of course, need to work on being able to take the cards and do whatever you want to do and make sure they end up where they're supposed to. That is a given. 
that it's practice, practice, practice. Same thing with the clowning. Don't just be, you know, don't just go for whatever you can find. A lot of times I'd see people, uh, I did a lot of theater when I was younger in, in my teens and I'd go in and they'd do costume biddings and I'd be like, they're like, here's your top hat. And it was one of those sh cheap, crappy hats that they get from a party store. And I'm like, uh, well, don't you have like a real top hat? And they go, no, it's a community theater. So I started getting on, you know, going to thrift shops and going to antique shops at the time they didn't have eBay. And I started buying these things on my own and I collected my own stash of really good costuming because that way, when I went on stage, they would go, wow, that guy looks authentic. And that's why in my, now what I do, the honest huckster, which by the way, can you type out honesthuckster.com? That's my magic site. Honest huckster.com h-e-k-s-t-e-r yeah huckster honest huckster.com yep honest huckster.com that is my magic site and you'll see on there that i wear very very traditional like i've got 1800s like this is not some this was made for me but some of the stuff like my pocket watches and the stuff that i wear authentic because i'm a stickler in like in the audience really believe that I am who I am. So my advice to any actor in regards to the buddy question of the hour <laughs> is that um, learn how to perform more and, uh, and do the tricks less. A really mm. quick case in point, I worked for uh, Cirque du Soleil for almost four years, and I was one of two cowboys in the, a show called Viva Elvis. And it was about Elvis, which was awesome, because I love Elvis's music, um, and I guess it shows my age. And But they redid the, the, the music and had a bunch of musicians that were phenomenal, adding beats, and it was a very modern take on Elvis's music. But, you know, this is a $180 million show. So it hmm. wasn't like we were doing community theater. Well, consequently, um, you know, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is that I worked with a gentleman by the name of Luke Rollins, who is a very, uh, he was on America's Got Talent for trick roping. Luke is by far probably the best trick roper, gun spinner, and whip artist I know, and the world knows. He's a great guy. And I grew up with this kid. Uh, I helped this kid grow up. I brought him to Singapore and we did a 15 day show when he was 17 years old. And now he's like almost 30. But the fact is, is that when I did this with Luke, a lot of times I'd see him back while we were both practicing a lot of our trick roping and gun spinning and whips. I'd see him doing something and filming. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm redoing my demo. I'm like, Luke, you're the best in the world. You're with Cirque du Soleil. What demo do you need? After you work with Cirque du Soleil, no offense, you don't really need a resume when it comes mm -hmm. to performance. You can take what you've done and just go, I work for Cirque du Soleil. So I said to him, I go, why do you keep producing new demos? He goes, well, I got to show him I can do more and do better. And I said, this is my theory, whether it's magic or it happens to be trick roping, I can do one, I can do a double lift trick. I can do a basic trick and make you think that I'm a professional magician. I am, but, I, and with roping, I can do one trick and do it from different angles. And you'll be like, wow, that guy's an amazing trick roper. It may not be true. But what I'm saying to you is, is that don't learn 50 billion tricks, learn five tricks really well and hone down the character and who you want to be. And then from there, um, I think you'll see your magic and anything else that you do performance wise will be so much better than if you just do massive amounts of stuff. I've known a lot of technical 
magicians that are like they can do everything and i go and it's like watching cardistry you go wow that's can you show me a trick and they're like no i don't really know a trick okay so uh learn as much as you can performance and maybe some tricks along the way mm -hmm. quality over quantity thank you sir Mm -hmm. All right. I asked this. I'm going to ask one more question and I'm going to ask you because I keep seeing you shuffling the cards and everything. So would you mind doing a live performance for us at the end? Yeah, you like, want to see it. But here's the thing. Yeah. Okay, we have to get four cards. Mm -hmm. Can you, But you're not going to be able to use the deck. Can I do a trick where, yep. yeah, you need to get four playing cards. Can you do that? Yeah. But, you, but let me tell you something. You cannot, you will not be able to use the deck. Everybody out there can do this. So everybody out there, get yourself a deck of cards. Hmm. But you have to have four cards. It's going to be rendered useless. And technically, when you're done with this trick, you won't be dealing with the full deck of cards. Oh, that was hmm. my joke. Can you do deck that? Of cards. Uh, yeah, or I even, can... yeah, four playing cards. Can I I'm think sorry. of them? Or like, nope. Got do it. you need the actual card? card? Yeah, All right, can, can you, you do that? Yep. Can you give me? Uh, yeah, yeah. Five Take your time. How about in that time, I'm just going to run down stage real quick. In that yeah. time, do you think you could answer this question for our audience so we can keep yeah. the show going? Sure, 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 sure. In your own words, how important is it for someone to be a buddy today? Oh, okay. Good good question. Yeah, it's like an essay question for you. I'll be yeah, right yeah. back. No, I love it. Yeah, you had, go find some cards. Yep. Okay. So I, I, I think um, – well, I'm well, feeding I'm... back, so you lost his headset. There we go. Is it better? I was feeding back. Yeah, you could. Okay, cool. So let's talk about um, why it's important to be a buddy. Uh, again, I grew up in a, I'll just say a very dysfunctional family and in the south side of Chicago. And my mother was married a few times. And, but the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's really, uh, as I was growing up, I felt sort of alone. You know, I didn't have uh, I didn't have a physical handicap, but I had a, a family handicap and we moved so much. I literally when I was probably 10, I counted that we moved about 12 times. So I moved so many times that one, I was bullied a lot because I moved so many times as a kid. And number two thing is, is that, um, you know, in moving as much as I did, uh, I had to then sort of, I learned to assess people and within 30 seconds and say, oh, you are the class clown. Oh, you are the prom king or queen, or you're the bully. And I learned that really easily and very quickly when I was a kid. But I will tell you that uh, in my life, the people that affected me most were the people that went out on a limb and decided to... Um, in essence, sort of take me under their wing and help me. And so now I always, uh, speaking of buddies, um, I always try to find people, as many people as I can, to try to engage with them and do something really sort of magical, pardon the pun, in regards to uh, being someone's friend. And it's going to be hard for me to uh, push this one here because I've been talking most of the time. Mm -hmm. But I used to get young, I used to get guys all the time would go, hey, man, can you tell me the secret of, uh, of of being in a relationship with someone? I mean, what should I do? I mean, what's the key? What's the trick? And I go, well, my trick is that every once in a while when you're with someone, you should shut up and listen. Because True. the 
biggest problem in our society nowadays is that people want to spend too much time trying to tell you how right they are. Mm-hmm. And it, you can say that all you want, but it may not be right for their situation. So a lot of times I listen to people and go, oh, okay. And I'm perceptive. Maybe that's the actor in me. But being perceptive about people's feelings and emotions, you'll gain a lot more buddies than you would if you just speak and tell people how amazing you are. Because everybody's amazing and everybody has their own story. But all I can say is, is that um, I, try to, I try to be friends with everybody, but I'm not totally buddies with everybody. And mm-hmm. the key to that is, is that if you find people that destroy – here's a big, big point – if you find a lot, look, we have our own critical voices that say, I can't, and I can't, I can't, because I work as an actor and I also was in a dysfunctional family. So I have that, that critical voice that'll say things to me, but I always say to it, shut up because you know what, in this day and age, it's really easy for people to look at stuff online and go, well, then see, they just showed me this and that always be asking questions, but never, never shoot down what other people are saying. Because uh, that's the essence of a relationship is being able to understand. You may not agree and you can agree to disagree, but I'm just telling you uh, that's the best way to make buddies out there. And that certainly having a buddy uh, makes a community. And that's what's missing nowadays is community. I mean, we have factions of different people that are existing in our country nowadays. But when I go out and speak and do my Will Rogers style stuff, I end my show by talking to people and saying, hey, where are you from? I'm not going like this. Hey, hey, where are you from? I'm going, so can you tell me about yourself? Because the key is is that looking people straight in the face and being able to talk to them and ask and answer and listen is the key. That is beautiful. Thank you, sir. Truly what it means to you, buddy. Found my cards. Okay, so what I want you to do is you're going to take out four of any card. You don't even have to look at them, okay? Four of any card. And you're going to want to keep them up above. And you're not going to even have to look at them. I'm going to take four cards. And I would prefer that they're only cards that are face cards or whatever they happen to be. Do not pick jokers or anything. Okay, and if anybody else has cards and you have four cards that you can take, your deck's going to be useless, but I want you to do this with me if you can afford to get rid of an old deck you have. So with that being said, here's what you're going to do, Nick. You're going to take the cards, and what we're going to do is don't do anything until I tell you what to do, okay? I'll say go, because I want you to take the cards, and you're going to rip them in half. But in order for us to do this effectively, bring the cards up above, and what you're going to do is this. You're going to fold them in half and match up the ends like this. Fold the cards in half. You see what I did? I folded the cards in half. Everybody that has cards, and if you're doing this, I want you to let them know that you're doing this as well. Okay, you folded them in half to make a very prominent crease in the middle of the cards, correct? Mm -hmm. Now you're going to take it, Nick, and you're going to unfold it, and you're going to reverse it and do the same thing on the back side. So what we're basically doing is making a rip line. I want you to do this because it makes it easier to make uniform cards. Okay, you got it? Mm-hmm. Let me see your cards. Good. Now what you're going to do is you're going to take the cards and you're going to simply do this. Grab it at the top and rip them in half. 
So you have two sets of cards. It will look like this. Got it? Now what you're going to do, Nick, is you're going to take the cards and you're going to, watch me, I'm going to turn them over. And you're going to place on top of each other, but make sure they're going the same way. Okay. Now let's just do this. Turn them face down. I mean, face down. And you're going to count in your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You have eight. Good. Now here's what we're going to do. What I'd like you to do is you're going to take the three top cards off and put them in your right hand. If you're left-handed, it'd be left-handed. You should have five in the other hand, correct? Mm -hmm. Now what you're going to do, Nick, is you're going to take the cards like this. Watch me. You're going to take these three cards. You're going to insert them into your five cards but it will look like this. I'm trying to get this in the right angle. Do not put them on the top. Do not put them on the bottom, but you're going to insert them somewhere in the middle. I'm going to do every other one, but you don't have to. So you see what I did? I put every other one. Do not put it on the top and do not put it on the bottom. You can put, by the way, if you want to put two after the first one or two after the third one or all three in the middle, you can do that as well. It doesn't matter what you do, folks. Got it. Now push them together and make one pile of the eight. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, I forgot to do something here. Take the top card off. Do not look at it. And put the top card somewhere by you so you can get it later. Now we should have seven cards. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take three more off the top. Mm -hmm. And I want you to insert them in this left hand again. But remember, don't put them on the top or don't put them on the bottom. Put them in the middle. This time, I'm going to take two of them and put them underneath the first one. And then the last third one underneath the ones before, after. It doesn't matter. And put them together. Mm -hmm. And then hold up the cards like this. So you have your pile. Now we're going to do something. Remember back in, as we were kids, we had a daisy and we'd say, she loves me. She loves me not. Or he loves me. Mm -hmm. He loves me not. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the first one in my hand like this. I'm going to say, she loves me. And I'm going to put it underneath. I'm going to take the next one. She loves me not and put it down on the table. She loves me underneath. She loves me not on the table. So kind of the knots end up on the table. She loves me. She loves me not. And keep doing that until you end up with one card. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And you should end up with one card, right? Mm -hmm. Like you to turn your card over and look at what it is. Now what I'd like you to do is take the card that you put aside, the one that we put aside, and show it to the audience. No way. And Bingo was his name all. That was awesome. Boom. Oh, wow. In the world of Zoom, 
and uh, virtual magic, uh, we have to adapt. And for that, my friend, I appreciate your time as well. Thank you so much for being on, buddy. Sorry Cat. I wrecked your deck. I'm no, sorry. no, no. I'll send you another one. Sounds good. I'll send you my address. <laughs> that was incredible. Cool. That was just powerful. I'm going to be reviewing that to to uh, show my family and everything like that. I, I don't know if you'll be able to do that, but we'll see. Hey, uh, let me just say one thing to you, if you don't mind. Yes. I just want to say that I looked up what you have done and what you're doing, and I want to tell you that it's phenomenal. You have to know that not everybody um, – some people go like, oh, what have you done? And nowadays, I think we have to realize that even the most incremental moves are a move forward as long as you're doing it from your heart. And it's pretty obvious that you're doing this from your heart. So I just wanted to thank you for being on the show, but I also want to thank you for being who you are and what you're doing because uh, you know what, if there's two people or there's 300 million people uh, 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 really quickly, when I was doing Cirque du Soleil, one of the biggest problems was we had 85 people on the stage that were ex Olympic, that were the best variety people in the world, that were amazing dancers that were on You Think You Can Dance and won. And it was funny because halfway through the run of uh, 1,300 performances, uh, a lot of the younger entertainers, the dancers, they were kind of going, man, this is, it's doing the same thing over and over again. This is ridiculous. And I'm, and they go, and then they saw me practicing and rehearsing and they're like, how do you put so much into what you're doing? I mean, like, you're always like 150%. Are you doing drugs? And I'm like, they go, what's the secret? I go, passion, passion. If you find something that you really, really want to do, then you need to do it. If you don't need to do it, it's not your passion. Then don't do it because they were complaining about that. And consequently, 20 of them got fired because they saw that the performances weren't up to snuff. But why I'm telling you that is, is because even though there were, they said, well, what's the secret? I go, even though we have 2000 people in the audience, I'm doing it for that one person in the front row going, oh, awesome. That's great. Not the person going like this, going, and texting your friend during a show. So do your shows for one person. Do your speaking for one person. And I promise you, you'll gather a crowd. Absolutely. Best Thank advice. You. Best advice. And you're right. I put my heart and soul into this episode, into this, you know, I've had, you know, you've seen the guests that I've had, yeah. but at the same time, everyone is, there's no one, there's no hierarchy. There's no, yeah, I had Sinbad on the show. So what? Awesome. I'm just yeah. as happy to have you on the yeah. show, you know? Well, I hope so. And I told, I actually, I told that to Sinbad. I told him, I told it to his face. I said, you know, as much as I am honored and happy to have you on this show, like, don't get me wrong. I am, this is like a legendary status right now. I'm just as honored and happy to have Will my Robert. Next- Did you yeah. say my name? Yeah. Uh, not yet. Cause I didn't know you yet, but I'm just <laughs> as honored to have, you know, my next door neighbor who teaches piano who's yeah. coming on, you know, who would be on the week after him or, yeah. You know, the local, you know, the local teacher fighting cancer, something like that, yeah. you know, because yeah. everyone, everyone in the show is a buddy. Everyone's got a story. Everyone, everyone has got, has yeah. everyone has got purpose on this earth. And sometimes, yeah. especially during these times with the pandemic, which is one reason I started it, because I work for a news station, you know, you see all the, all the stuff going on today and everything. People just need those feel good stories. I they said, do. You know, 
And mm-hmm. it's tough, you know, it, it really is tough because I worked for Fox and CBS and I was a Fox mm-hmm. Kids Club host and I was a feature reporter. And I remember going into the news department and my one of my be- actually my best friend, John, was the news director. And I go, John, I got a story. This family found a dog and the dog really saved their family. And he said, did anybody die? And I'm like, no. He goes, Psh, sorry, if it doesn't bleed, it doesn't bleed. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest problem we have in our society. But thank you because, yes, the next door neighbor with piano or someone, you know, who has uh, something uh, mm-hmm. that isn't good uh, mm-hmm. is, a, is a way of sharing compassion. And yes. honestly, just having big stars all the time. Okay. People are going to get sick of it. People are going to be like, yeah, he's got as much as because it's mixing up that variety. It's okay. For three days, we've had the local people. Hey, let's throw in uh Kevin McNally from Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, that's yeah. them because the people are like, wait, how did he get on this show? Or yeah. stuff like that. But it's absolutely, yeah. and it's variety yeah. too. It's not just, I've had a bunch of magicians on the show. I've had a bunch of comedians, but it's finding those people who have that uniqueness about them. It's finding those people who can say, hey, here's something that I that truly makes me stand out. Like finding out someone who starts a charitable organization or, yeah. you know. Start. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the backstories usually tend to be really what people want to know. Because mm-hmm. when you talk about someone that's in Hollywood or whatever, they go, oh, I saw you. in," But how did they get there? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and it, hopefully you're not interviewing the person that is 16 years old and said, well, I've been working my whole life for this one. Yeah. But <laughs> but fact of the matter is, is that everybody does have their stories. So thank you, my friend, for having me on. Yes. And thank you for sharing your story today. And I'm going to post this everywhere. Oh, beautiful. I love it. And if you ever have any buddies on here that you think would be perfect for a buddy cast, send them my way. I will be glad to chat with them. All righty. Yep. For all my buddies out there, this is my new buddy, Will Roberts. Check him out. I posted all your links here. So, and as Mm -hmm. I always end every single episode, just remember one thing. Go be someone's buddy today. Boom. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. BuddyCast. I'm dancing it out. Dancing it out.